All right, welcome to the Recovery Edge podcast. I'm Alfredo. I'm an alcoholic, and I am sitting here with my wife, Kayla. Hello, friends. Yeah, and uh, our friend, Shaylee. Hello, friends. <laughs> Shaylee's our guest. She is a returning guest. You were on the podcast, what, a couple years ago? I think probably? it was 2021, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was last year. Could have been last year. I know I was truck driving still. It wasn't last year. Okay, it was 2021. How do you guys know each other? So I met Shaylee at the, um, was it at New Hope or at Sober Solutions? Sober Solutions, the 5 o'clock? Yeah. Yeah, it was the 5 o'clock. Yeah. No, it was the women's meeting that we had. Oh, yeah. That didn't last very long because of COVID. Yep, so I met her um, at this Saturday morning women's meeting, and um, the thing that always draws me to Shaylee is that she's, like, so honest and open, and (laughs) she just tells these stories, and I'm like, oh my gosh, if she can be, like, this open, it just gives me courage to, to be more honest in my own story, so I love that about her. You're embarrassing me right now. I just think you're super funny. (laughs) I love it when you share. You are super funny. So we are here and it's around Halloween time and you guys have this place decorate. What is going on? There's like skeletons everywhere and like it's crazy out here. And I'm just talking about your yard. We actually host a free haunted house for two days every year just to get like our community the kids to come around because we live in the ghetto and people don't like to come here. So that is so cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll have this a line is... down the street just for hours. We start at dusk, like dark, and then we go through 10 p.m., you know, because people still work, so we try not to be huge assholes. How many uh, people, like, volunteer and help you put this on? On the average, we have six actors. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, that, and usually it'll be a different crew every night because most people can't commit to two nights. But, yeah, we have, like, a actors throughout the whole yard and then one guy lucio his main role is to chase people with our chainsaw (laughs) so this year he'll be coming out from that that shed right there because last year they destroyed our running from him they destroyed our graveyard so oh oh no okay that is truly terrifying just having somebody run after you with a chainsaw through the ghetto (laughs) we yeah we (laughs) It's true. It's the little ghetto, the Longmont ghetto, which is still pretty civilized, actually. Yeah, I was like, it's not that bad, really. Anyways. I, um, I have videos to show you of how bad it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's good to know that some parts of Longmont are still holding it down. Yeah. Can't all be Boulder. <laughs> I, yeah, I it to, is the east side. I used to hang out out here back in the day, you know. Anyways, um, how long have you been doing this haunted house thing? We started, I think, about five years ago. So what had happened is we had tried to hand out candy one year, and we only had two trick-or-treaters. So the next year, we started with a pop-up tent, and we would just chase people out. (laughs) Like, they would try to come up, and we would chase people out. And then I actually have pictures I can show you later that my husband was showing me. That's when he called me a stupid bitch. Uh, (laughs) 
of well, the progressive. So this has only been going on for five years. We spend about five grand a year. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So just on candy alone, we hand out full size candy bars. Last year we spent about five hundred dollars. Wow. Giving candy out. I bet the neighborhood loves you. We are hood famous. Yeah. We are. It's called Hilltop Haunt. <laughs> you had to be like the coolest mom on the on the block in the neighborhood, really. I might take a picture. Yeah, I think we should walk around of and those skeletons at least. Oh yeah. Well, I have a whole. I mean, you want to see the inside? It's pretty dope. Behind those black walls out there that allow no light into my house. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Now that we have all of that out of the way, we have a setting here, and it's spooky. Yes. Uh, last time we talked to you was during the COVID pandemic, I believe. What's new? What's been going on now? Um, I quit truck driving, and I actually work with my husband now. So. Can you remind us of your, your sobriety date first, just so I can get Yeah, it's February 27th, 2020. So I relapsed actually three days, or three weeks before COVID started. So I've been sober the entirety of COVID. So about almost four years. We're at like three and a half years right now. Yeah, thanks. It's it's been a journey. It's actually been this last year, which I was still in like a real big struggle, but I was like learning a lot the last podcast. But now, I mean, I've just had the best year of my life. So my husband and I, we've been together almost 14 years, and we've only had, like, one really good year. Why is that? Um, I mean, I, for sure it was both of us, but, I mean, if I'm just looking at my part in things, I, A, wasn't ready to be in a relationship when we got together, and turns out I just don't know how to break up with people, and B, um, I think I had a lot of childhood trauma, and things I needed to work through before, and I just hadn't. And I wasn't ready for recovery. My husband was ready for recovery. I remember the moment he became ready for recovery. I watched him throw a joint out the window past my face because he was like, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, why did you do that? (laughs) And then I just felt obligated to get clean because I had found out I was pregnant right after that. So I felt obligated. To get clean and stay clean. Uh, So there was a lot of faking going on, and I refused to work any steps back then. Hmm. So tell us about the last three years. Um, The last three years were pretty rough, but I think for me it was more internal and then just also trying to deal with my husband's emotions around, you know, what happened and what life was like and like trying to make a new normal um so I think doing the step work was pretty hard and like learning how to I don't know like set boundaries was critical for me that's what I think recovery has been the biggest thing was like me learning how to like say no when I needed to or not take blame for things that weren't mine people pleasing had to go so now I'm kind of a bitch uh my sponsor said that um I will like the pendulum will quit swinging so far the other way at some point and I think it is settling down a lot like I'm I'm not quite as hostile as I was or like rigid with things um but also like just 
being authentic and, and making sure that I own my part in things. And also, um, learning how to be a mom and like showing up for my life, uh, and my family. So I was actually just feeling real emotional last night. I took my son and his friend to trunk or treat. And so they're in fifth grade. And I was like, so emotional because I've missed out on all of this. Like I was there a lot of times, but I was never present. Um, and I'm like beating myself up hardcore because I think getting to this point in recovery where it was like so brutal and like working through all this stuff I didn't even know I needed to work through, like just how selfish I was. And like, he's going to be a middle schooler next year and it's changing. Right. And so, um, I think the last three years of recovery has like taught me that service and being there for others and not always thinking about myself is, I guess, what it's been like for me because the first part of recovery was all about me and like me getting better and like what I can do to, to heal. And now it's like trying to heal the family at this point and showing up for my kids and my husband and anyone else that needs it what um so this past year that's been amazing with you and your husband what do you credit that to what do you think caused that steps steps and boundaries Mm -hmm. boundaries are a big one um but i and also i hope no one gets offended but god god is probably the biggest part of that no for sure i mean I know being newly married and um, doing a fourth step right now while we're moving and have all these things going has um, been a real, well, to me it feels like an emotional breakdown, (laughs) but my sponsor tells me that I'm having a spiritual awakening and that I'm like seeing my role in things and, you know, like addressing them early um in our marriage and so that we don't have like years of back and forth or regret but um you know like I don't want to do the work like nobody wants to see where they went wrong but I don't want to live poorly or have a bad relationship so that pushes me to be willing to do the work exactly I think well Yeah, it does definitely push me to want to do the work, but also just having emotional sobriety continues to push me to want to do the work. Because I started using hard drugs when I was 12, and so I've been, like, emotionally handicapped my whole life. And then I had 12-year-olds when I was still emotionally 12, and so now I think I might be 25, right? So, (laughs) like, just feeling more confident and, like, sure of myself, and, like, not everything is just, like, this big emotional uproar for me I think is another thing um feeling a lot of gratitude in my relationships continues to make me want to do the work um and then I don't know having friends like I've never had friends for this long like I've known you guys for a long time and I know I could call you for anything that makes me want to keep doing the work also not feeling like vulnerable all the time makes me not want to relapse 
Yeah, and it's definitely a matter of, like, that you're able to feel vulnerable with your friends, you know? Like, because before, like, I don't want to, like, leave the house or go do something unless I'm in, like, a cherry mood and perfect hair and makeup and I'm, like, you know, ready to go conquer the world and go see people. And that's just, the reality is, like, that's not what every day looks like for me, you know? Like, there's life has its struggles and, you know, like sometimes I'm just going through stuff and I don't need to be alone in the house or alone in my head. Like I need to be around other people that are doing step, like actively doing step work and know what it's like. And yeah, I will say actively being around other people that are working a program is critical because I did do a very long stint of just using recovery as a social gathering and then just like pretending everything was okay when I was literally dying inside. So when they say meeting makers make it, I think that's true to an extent, but it's step workers can live a quality of life. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I still think about um, those early days in my sobriety where I was going through a bunch of stuff and you were going through a bunch of stuff and then you like called me and asked if you could come over and talk and I was like yeah I'm just like at my aunt's house cleaning my car detailing my car why don't you come over and you were just telling me this story as I was cleaning the car and then we decided to like go get some food and we were just like spilling out all this stuff that we were dealing with and then you were like I'm so tired. I have to go to bed. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I think about that sometimes because I was like struggling so hard that Mm -hmm. there was like moments where it was like, I literally can't even be awake anymore today. Yeah. It was like this verbal and emotional vomit and you just had to like get it out. And then you just are so exhausted afterwards and have to. Dude, it was so bad. I don't know if I shared about this on the podcast last time. My husband's not here, so. I feel comfortable to share about it right now, but um, I was actually gearing up to take a lie detector test. So I um, had had a long-term affair that resulted in me having an ectopic pregnancy. So part of the, it, I would say, I want to say it's a requirement, but not at any time did I have to do it if I wanted my marriage to end. And I can only just uh, like contribute it to divine intervention that like allowed me to want to to do the right thing and for me this was like considered I would say like the ultimate ninth step so I've never actually made a formal amends to my husband because I actually did what they call a therapeutic disclosure so after my affair came out um there was some things that led up to us thinking maybe I had a sex addiction um so he paid every week for me to see a certified sex and trauma therapist, which was horrifically expensive. And, like, God bless my husband for, like, still seeing the good in me and, like, wanting to, like, help me get the help because my childhood was horrific. Um, there was a lot of sexual, mental, and emotional abuse that has, like, damaged me. Like, I'm damaged goods at this point. Um, So I'm, like, just trying to be, like, a refurbished (laughs) version of myself, you know, at half price. Um, But I, so the therapist's suggestion to help us heal, because sometimes it's really hard to heal from that, especially when the betrayed partner is always thinking, do I know everything? 
Um, so it's called a therapeutic disclosure where you spend an entire year writing down. Well, I had to spend an entire year because there was so much that I had done behind his back. Um, cause it wasn't just one affair, but that, that was the main thing. Um, writing out everything I had done and then I had to take a lie detector test after I read it to the lady who does the lie detector test to uh, see if I lied or omitted anything and it took me a whole year to write it and to get it ready um and the lie detector test took three hours (laughs) yeah it was no joke and then two weeks later I had to sit down in a therapy session with my therapist and my husband's therapist because he was paying for both of us and read it to him and it was like 10 pages long um that never did I say sorry during that I just had to share my truth and to make sure that he had all the information so at the end of the day he's not constantly wondering if I told him the truth and stuff and then we had to spend the night apart so I had to go stay at my mom's house and then it was just like because that happened on January 29th of 2020 Oh yeah. yeah and then I relapsed a month later I think I was just because he was psycho after that um <clears throat> And I had to share about how I had been sexually assaulted in 2017 by a coworker, but because I was having an affair, um, and it was one of his friends that did it, I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. Mm. Uh, and it was like really a really painful. I like spiraled out of control after that. After um, I had someone like physically force me into something that I w- didn't want to do. Uh, so I had to share that with him because he actually thought it was a lie, but the lie detector test determined it wasn't a lie. Um, well, I will say like after we recorded this podcast later this afternoon, I have to go do my fifth step with my sponsor and like, hearing this story is like, makes me feel like, it's just like small potatoes compared to like a year of writing down, you know, all this stuff and doing a lie detector test. So I'm feeling a little bit better about this fist up that I'm about to do because you, I mean, you really did like the ultimate ninth step in doing, you know, through all this. Yeah, my sponsor said I didn't have to tell him anything ever again. I will say that my relapse was really unnecessary, but at that time I had felt it was really hard for me to go into meetings and share like a newcomer when I had um, almost eight years at that point. So what I learned is that emotional sobriety is critical. Like I can't, I I literally like half measures (laughs) provide us nothing, right? Like I can't pretend I can't like live on a hope and a prayer I have to like actively work in God's um will and and for me I truly believe that's doing steps getting out of myself and doing service not lying not doing things that go against like my moral standing um and like actively stop thinking about myself all the time and like try to be a mom and a wife and a worker and like do the next right thing all the time do you think that your uh relapse was just like due to like such overwhelming feelings during at that time or um was it just like 
a want to escape from it all. Because you, you know, said it was like, like unnecessary. Looking, it but. was unnecessary. Um, at the time, yes, I had planned that relapse, probably like actively planned it and like started telling myself, oh, I just want to drink wine like an adult woman, like a normal adult woman because I got into recovery real young. Mm-hmm. And so I never like had a mimosa at brunch. Like that kind of stuff didn't happen. And so I was telling myself, and yeah, I was like plagued with feelings. I mean, I was constantly trying to work on myself and coming home and having my husband tell me what a piece of shit I am every day. I mean, it was bad. And he was like mad and mean and pissed off all the time. And like out of nowhere, I'd be being called a whore. And uh, yeah, so I had planned it. But I think part of it was just so I could be a newcomer and share like a newcomer and just be because I didn't even get wasted. I had like a bottle of wine and then I poured half of it down the the sink and the thing is is my husband was in Hawaii with his sponsor and his sponsee brothers when I did that and so my son was laying in my bed sleeping because usually when my husband goes on a trip my husband well my son used to like sleep with me when he was gone um and I just felt like such a piece of shit Like, I just felt so lonely in that moment, but I'd always, like, backed myself into a corner for loneliness. Like, I never tried to reach out or, like, I get so insecure in relationships because I, like, am a people pleaser. So I, like, actively ghost people constantly because I feel like I just give too much of myself. So it was, like, at that time, I didn't know how to, like, reach out and ask for help and have a healthy relationship, you know? So I do think it was unnecessary, uh, but also kind of necessary so no I definitely I don't know if I'm making that. any sense right now I'm like having anxiety I thought I would be better this time but I'm having just as much as anxiety as I did last time <laughs> no you're doing great <laughs> like I when I'm it. on the spot I feel like I like lose track of time no I definitely know what you mean like doing this fourth step and having you know like uh an emotional meltdown as I'm like writing this all out and doing I think the emotional meltdown really like happened during my fears inventory. Um, But like I have like great friends who are in the program and like I could call and just be like, I'm struggling. And, um, you know, like I wind up just isolating myself because like I can't I can't function or I can't do whatever. And um, then, you know, after a while of just sitting my own chaos or whatever that I've created then I'm like what am I doing like I just need to you know like say my truth to my friends and without fail they'll just like come along and say the most like casual healing helpful comment and I'm like why did I stay isolated for so many days and just like not do that to begin with I don't know how many times I have to learn that lesson but it's something that I have to learn over and over and so yeah I just really feel like I'm so blessed to have friends that you know they won't like force themselves to just come over when they know I'm isolating like literally this past couple weeks I got texts that were like I know you're not ready to come out right now, but we just want you to know that we love you and that we're here for you. And it's just, it's so helpful. I don't know how I would 
do all this kind of like inside work without the people in the in the rooms and my friends and yeah it's it's been a um, big blessing to have people around me that are doing the step work too yes does Shaley have uh you've shared a lot of this in meetings right I've heard bits and pieces of, of your story in meetings and stuff, but how have you found that uh, your experience and your sharing, like, has it helped anybody else specifically? Like, do you have any moments like that? Uh, yeah, I've actually had a lot of uh, women and men come up and tell me that they needed that. I don't think a lot of people share as uh, openly as I do in meetings. No, they don't. <laughs> I've also had people tell me maybe I shouldn't share like that in meetings. So yeah, it's, it, it's gone both ways for me, but I literally don't know how to share any other way. And most of the time I'm just word vomiting. Like I have no idea what I'm about to say. And then I just have been told also to breathe during shares, which... I'm having a hard time doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nervous. I get like nervous before it happens and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. but I had like, I even had a guy ask me a couple weeks ago if I would sponsor him. And I was like, probably not. Uh, I'll have to ask my husband. And then I was like, I am not going to ask my husband that. <laughs> and I was going to like tell him, sorry, I can't do it. But I didn't see him again the next week. So he'll figure it out. Yeah. He, he needs to stick with another dude there's got to be a dude out there that's a lot like me men just have to stick with men and women with women yeah i i don't need to hear his four step or like have any kind of personal relationship with him even if i wasn't married i think it's kind of inappropriate so well that's good to know um that even i guess people would call it an outside issue you know in the rooms of aa um, that your shares are still catching people that need help in other areas, you know, because the alcohol is, what, just a symptom of our real problems, of course. Um, and you're an example of being able to help others who are in the same lane as you are, you know, but can't, don't feel like they don't have the freedom to, like, really express it or, you know, maybe they don't know that that that, that was a triggering um, issue in their life or something. I don't know. I'm not like a doctor or psychiatrist, nothing, but all I'm seeing and saying is that your shares are like attractive to people who are also, um, suffering with similar pasts and it's healthy, I think, because there's probably a lot of us in the room like that. Well, yeah, that's why I guess I used to call myself, well, I still call myself a a garden variety addict so I mean in real life I'm actually I wouldn't actually be considered an alcoholic um only because I'm celiac and so most alcohol is made with gluten and so it always just made me feel like shit so I always geared more toward drugs alcohol sex food tv anything really that'll change the way I I feel I will abuse it um but I call myself an alcoholic in the rooms of AA out of respect for the program And, um, what I've learned is that, I mean, if you have an ailment, I can probably help you. I do understand what alcoholics are like. I don't know how to deal with drug addicts because I do get pointed in the direction towards other people who are like, oh, I got a drug problem. And alcoholics are like, I was still really functioning and I don't know how to help you, you know, but I've, I've been to the bottom. I became non-functioning right away. I mean, I was non-functioning at 12. Never was I ever a functioning alcoholic and addict. 
I was like, oh, we're just going to go live in a storage unit now? Yeah, sounds great. This is like high living. <laughs> we even had uh, boxes stacked up and I had like a doggy door I walked through. Somehow I thought that was awesome because we had a <laughs> fridge and a mattress. Like who lives like that? Fucked up people. You know, there was like a time where I wanted to be anywhere else but where I was at and it didn't matter what was going on. I just never felt happy and I always just felt kind of like a piece of shit like I was never good enough wasn't worthy I didn't like anyone that was actually in my life but I think it was just like a reflection of myself and like what I was going through and then now yeah I get to show up for my life and I have like authentic real relationships with people uh like you guys like you know like great friendships I love hanging out with my husband and my kids Uh, I can actually feel the feelings of um, that my dog died and I'm not just compartment. You know, I think the biggest thing is, is I don't compartmentalize anything anymore. Um, So I'm like not just walking through the day. I'm feeling my way through the day. Um, I have like these relationships with my kids that I never thought I would have before because it felt like almost like they were like a chore, like a job. Right. And now it's unbelievably wonderful. Um, you know, I have two daughters, one that we're going to find out here in a couple weeks, whether she has breast cancer or not. And then my other daughter that they're trying to diagnose with Crohn's because she's pooping blood and she's sick all the time. And like to be present for those and to like show up where I'm not making it about myself. So like when I'm in an AA meeting, having a breakdown, I'm totally making it about myself, but (laughs) with them, I'm just trying to show up for them. And, um, I don't have to use over it today. I don't have to get drunk. I don't have to abuse my dog, even though I kind of want to. Uh, (laughs) He really is a turd bucket. I'm really sorry. I didn't realize this was going to be a problem when you guys came. Um, Like, I have an authentic relationship with my husband where I don't always feel victimized by him anymore. And I think a lot of that actually had nothing to do with him. I just was very sensitive still very sensitive I cried today that already happened um I don't know being in the solution has just changed everything for me and I honestly don't even know how to like pinpoint one thing or another it just I feel like I'm showing up for life and I think a huge one for me was I was driving down the road the other day and I was like I love my life and never have I thought that before yeah like I can't wait to come home and hang out with my stupid husband who I think is stupid but also my best friend you know what I mean (laughs) like if you knew us you would know how our relationship is like we're just constantly talking shit that's flirting (laughs) that's what flirting is is being mean to each other uh yeah I don't know I really don't know what to say I feel like I'm drawing a blank because I get anxiety when I feel like I'm put on the spot I thought I would do better this time but hopefully you can get something out of that Let's, let's go back to 2020 before your relapse and all that. And knowing what you know now, how would, what piece of advice you, would you give that Shaylee? Stop lying about everything. You can, never, you can never get better if you're hiding things. So it's like those, what's that saying in recovery where um, it says those who are willing to be honest? What is that? It's in the steps. Those, those who are honest um, are... Per- those maybe do you know what i'm talking about i know the saying i can't think of it right now 
but it's like those who are capable of being honest have a chance at making this program and that is critical and don't give up and don't lie <laughs> don't lie don't don't do stuff you know like you can't live a recovery life and steal stuff at the store you just can't or at least I couldn't because it's allowing mold to grow in the corner right like how am I supposed to be honest and also doing the step work so I was like a terrified of the step work I was like I have more problems than that and I do but it just allowed me to like learn what was a real problem or not because some of it I call it the hamster wheel I can't get off of it in my brain I can't play a tape all the way through I have to like actually write it down for it to actually make sense because I can warp anything. Um, yeah, I guess that's it, you know. I really don't know at this point, so. Well, I think that you did super great, and I always love hearing what you have to say and, like, just your, like, honesty and your openness of, like, your struggles and your story just uh, just warms my heart and helps me be honest and open. So thank you. And I also feel that way about you. I just remember when you first came in and I was listening to you share and I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to have lunch with me, but I need to take a nap. So. Yeah. <laughs>